My team is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Gold Award at the FCAs to my Silver Award at the FCAs. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, we won an award, kind of. Yeah, and I didn't see it. Yes, you didn't. We won the Silver Award for Best Football League Podcast at the Football Content Awards. Well done to us. Uh, but Justin managed to pick the only time of the night to go to the toilet when our award came up. So well done, Justin. If we won, I'd have had to go on stage by myself, which uh, I would have not thanked you for. But uh, <laughs> there we go. At least we didn't win. Uh, on the show today, we've got Ben James from the Cardiff Podcast. View from the Ninian. Ben, hello, Sitoiti. Ah, Ben Digedig, Diane. <laughs> Yes. Uh, also, with us, <laughs> also with us is Carlo van der Watering from the Barnsley podcast Red Report. Carlo Hangart het met jou. Oh, met mij is alles prima. Niet met de voetbalclub natuurlijk, maar met mij is alles prima. We. Oui. Uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the championship games from the past weekend, including the West London derby, a West Midlands derby and the South Wales derby, which Ben is particularly looking forward to. Uh, and then we'll finish off with <laughs> some of the news at the end. And of course, the Simon Grayson's hateful eight. So it was Swansea three, Cardiff nil in the South Wales derby. Um, ben. Any immediate thoughts that you want to share with the pod? Um, oh, I mean, where do you start? I think delete our football club and start again after that. That was absolutely <laughs> shameful. Um, I don't, honestly can't tell you what Mick McCarthy was thinking. I can't tell you the way we were playing. I can't tell you what kind of game tactics we had. It was just a shambles from the opening minute to the closing minute. Um, and I'll be surprised if Mick McCarthy can hang on after that. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions for later on. But the, the thing mm. that staggered me so much was how one-dimensional Cardiff were. Every time they went forward, they did not look a threat at all because every single time they tried to attack Swansea, it was just cross into the box every single time, wasn't it? And I imagine being a Cardiff fan, that's quite a regular thing you see. Yeah, isn't it? it is. And it was it was effective at the start of the year. You know, we were at the start of the season, sorry. We, I remember Blackpool away where we scored the second goal, which was an amazing breakaway with Ryan Giles putting in a cross for Kiefer Moore to head in. But now it just looks like we haven't got any cutting edge in the box. And I think, you know, the key thing about today is that you look at someone like Kiefer Moore, who last season, 20 goals, he goes away with Wales and is, is such a key player for them. But for us, he looks like a spare part because we... We rely on him so much at the top to either be on the end of the crosses, but he's also got to get in the channels sometimes to make those crosses. We don't get the ball to him, so he's coming deep to get the ball. And therefore, when he gets forward, there's no one there in support. It's just, um, yeah, you're right. It's one dimensional, but I don't even know what that dimension is anymore because it's so poor. No dimensional. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, no dimensional. <laughs> Minus dimensional. Um... Yeah, exactly. Uh, Swansea, Justin, what did you, you think of the Swans? I thought it was a good performance, but at the same time, they weren't coming up against too much, unfortunately. I think you've nailed it. They did They did what they had to do. Um, I think Cardiff made it easy for them at times. You look at the first goal, defenders are backing off Patterson. Patterson's got a rifle on him. You don't give him that much time on the edge of the box. The, the goals were, were just really poor defending from Cardiff. And as you say, they made it easy for Swansea. It was. It's, I don't want to downgrade the performance from Swansea. It was a good performance. But in a derby, you expect a little bit more from your opposition. Didn't really offer it. It was an easy win for Swansea. Yeah, I... I... I'm just perplexed, Bennett, how really poor Cardiff were in what is a derby. It's, you know, it doesn't get much bigger for Cardiff fans than that game. But did you think there was a lack of bite as well in, in terms of, you know, how whether the players wanted it as much as the Swansea players? Yeah, it's become a bit of a kind of running theme with derbies that, um, you know, last year, I think we won the second one, but lost the home game. And the home game was a very insipid performance. I think in the season before, um, one of one of Neil Warnock's last games was a game at the um, the derby day down at the Liberty. And we lost that game 1-0 and had no bite at all. I think, I don't know what it is about the derbies, but our players seem to go missing. You know, you've got players in there like Aidan Flint, Marlon Pack, Sean Morrison, even Will Volks coming off the bench. They're players who understand what a derby day should be about and show some passion. But 
I don't know if it's the way they're playing. I don't know if it's what's going on behind the scenes. But today they just looked like there was no energy there. There was nothing, you know, commitment. They didn't really want to be there. Um, you know, at least putting some biting challenges early on, putting some of those reducers, which is what the fans want to see, right? They want to see someone flying in with a challenge, you know, hobbling someone, nobbling someone, whatever you want to say. I don't, you know, want to call anyone to be injured, but you want to see that on a derby day. And there was none of that today. I think. Volks came on and he he put in a tackle sort of the 90th minute, which was the only time we saw us kind of trying to kick Swansea off the ball a little bit. And I think that just summed it up, really. Just absolutely nothing there. No energy, no commitment, no bite. Well, six straight losses for Cardiff now. Yeah. To be honest, I was surprised Mick McCarthy surprised the international break. But how long do you think he's got now? Uh, it's a matter of time for me. I I I, th- I think Ken Chu was at the game today and I've always... You know, when when the chairman actually comes to the game or the CEO comes to the game, you always think that something's up. And he was there and apparently said on the bus before the game that he he wishes he could get us a new manager. So that's kind of, you know, conjecture maybe or rumours. I don't know. But apparently he said it to a bunch of fans on the bus, which is quite telling. Right. Um, I'll be surprised. You know, we've got a game on Wednesday. Um, I would be surprised if the axe fell tomorrow. But I think if we lose again on Wednesday, and we will because it's Fulham away, and Fulham will probably put four past us. Um, I don't see him surviving past Wednesday if he if he survives the weekend, basically. Um, you know, one goal in six games says a lot, really, when you've got Kiefer Moore, who was last season's 20 goal, 20 goal man. It's a joke. Yeah, yeah, spot on. It, the, the only thing I would say is if you're going to bring in a new manager, you wouldn't do it for Fulham away first game, would you? No, um, no. So. And, it, you know, and if we sack McCarthy, he'll take Connors with him because he's his right-hand man. So I don't even know who, I think maybe Steve Morrison would be in charge. He's our under-23 coach. And I think that's a, a freebie game then. But um, I, at this stage, I'd rather him not be there because it's it, it can only get worse under Mick McCarthy at the moment. You can have yeah. Marcus shop if you want. <laughs> yeah, right. Straight to I mean, why not? Well, how, how much worse can it get? McCarthy's <laughs> a Barnsley fan, isn't he? Yeah, McCarthy's he's from Barnsley, isn't he? Well, not from, but he, he lived there for quite some time. So, yeah, he's a mm-hmm. Barnsley lad. But no, we're, we're fine. We'll just <laughs> struggle. <laughs> well, let's talk about that now, Carlo. Barnsley suffered their fourth straight loss in a row, this time at the hands of Reading. John Swift scoring the only goal of the game. Carlo, I thought this was actually better from Barnsley, but even then, Reading were by some distance clearly the better side. Yeah, um, listen, there's been rumblings uh, before the international break um, about a, a lack of plan. Uh, last season, we were very effective. And why were we effective? Because we had the youngest squad, lots of energy. It wasn't always pretty, but it was a very high press, contained the opposition in their half and try and score goals. Um, that worked. And you don't need Valerian and Ismail to do that because the players were used to it. This one's come in. I, I, I don't know what the plan is yet. I know we're like 11 games in or whatever, but we're still working out what exactly his plan is. A right-back started at left-back. We had three left-backs on the bench. I'm, I'm in Holland currently, so I travelled yesterday. So I've watched the highlights and I had people on the phone. Performance-wise, yes, a little bit better. But ultimately, it's another game out win. We've won one. We've drawn five. It's it, it, time to go, isn't it? I heard today a deadline's been set. I'd be very much like Ben. Uh, we are playing Borough away. Um, nice mid-table game. Uh, sorry, nice mid-table Borough. That won't be easy, will it? And then we're playing Sheffield United at home. So what Ben's just had in their derby, Sheffield United, Barnsley, the South Yorkshire derby next Sunday. Um, if if now it's it's just it's it's very poor. And I know there's problems off the pitch. Uh, lots of key stuff have left. We know Valeria Smell left. But it's people like the CEOs left, the secretaries left, the goalkeeping coaches left, the head physios left. There's a reason for that. There's a re- you know, when everything is rosy at the club, people stay in the jobs because they enjoy it. Ours are all leaving. So off the pitch, on the pitch, and in the office, it's just rotten to the core at the moment. And it, it's not a great time to be a Barnsley fan, to be fair. Yeah, it's quite a strange for us because when we criticize a team and we put it out on social media we usually get lambasted for <laughs> criticizing the team but Barnsley fans are unanimously saying we're right <laughs> that is absolutely terrible at the moment um are you surprised Marcus Sharp hasn't been sacked and how long would you give him um I I was surprised I fully expected him to go to the start of international break I know he's got a three-year contract and that needs paying off league one uh television money and everything else will have a, a bigger impact than paying him's contract off. I don't know what the deadline is, but to me, they've, they've sort of missed the boat. This is the problem at times when the owners look at the finances and the clubs look at how the team is performing. I know that's a big amount of money to pay out, but I, I understand it if we didn't do well last year, but Daniel Stendhal came in and this was the shape of the Barnsley team. Struble came in, struggled initially, but it, we got there. 
Gillian Ismail comes in. But that Barnsley team over the past few seasons has been an attacking team, a high-press team and high-energy team. Um, Britain, uh, Callum Britton came out at the Millwall match, so that's before the international break, and said, we need to practice more on finishing and training because we're playing off the cuff. I mean, when a first-team player says we're playing off the cuff, <laughs> I can only imagine what they're training in because he, he tried to play out from the back. And it's just so... For, to me... And I don't like seeing people lose their jobs. I don't. But I think it's just a bridge too far. I think he might have done really well in Austria. But the expectations was there because of last season. I never expected us to be fifth last season. Mid-table and 99.9% .9 of the Barnsley fans will be extremely happy. But not third from bottom with one win. And I know the performance against Reading was half decent. But ultimately, it's the result that counts. And that says Reading won Barnsley nil. Yeah, well, you say third from bottom. That's only because Derby have had a points deduction and also because of Brad Collins's heroics throughout the season, really. Um, going back to the game, Reading had a goal disallowed for offside, which was miles onside. How a professional linesman can get that wrong, <laughs> I have no idea. But Barnsley really struggling at the moment. Quickly on Reading, Justin, Ben on Twitter asks us, are Reading dark horses for the playoffs, even with a potential points deduction? What do you think? Uh, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I don't think they are. I think... Performances-wise, they've not been particularly great at times. And then the game here against Barnsley, they weren't great. It was really bad defending for the John Swift goal. If um, if it was defended better, I don't think John Swift gets through. So I think there's a long way for Reading to go. But they've got players to come back, so I guess they, they could be. Uh, but I'm not convinced by it. Yeah, the John Swift goal was quite funny, actually. It was like watching someone dribble around cones in training. <laughs> uh, still a great goal, nonetheless. Uh, ben oh, and Carlo, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to take on Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But for now, me and Justin are going to go travelling around the grounds. And we'll start off with the game from Friday night. It was a West Midlands derby between West Brom and Birmingham. Carl and Grant scored the only goal of the game to give the Baggies a 1-0 win. It's just one point from Birmingham's last six games, though. James Jenkinson is from Birmingham Fan TV. And I didn't think Blues were actually too bad here, James. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I would I would probably agree with that, to be honest. Um, I think overall, we tried to go back to basics on Friday night. I know the results um, last month, or the last six weeks before the international break, weren't so good. We started the season really well. Um, and obviously, since then, it's been... Um, a bit of a plummet. I think he tried to, to, to do the basics right, defend well. We didn't play pretty. It was quite an ugly game. Um, but it was just the, 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 the difference is just the quality in either box, really. Um, that's the that's the telling sign at the minute. Um, and, and it shows, you know, and when we waste chances like we did and, and, uh, and don't take them, you're going to get punished at the other end. And that's exactly what happened on the night. Yeah, I've been saying recently that Birmingham, despite only picking up one point from the last six games, haven't actually been playing too badly and have possibly been a bit unlucky. Would you agree with that? Yeah, to a, to a certain extent, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't think the performances have been as bad as uh, under previous regimes, you know, Karanka and Cottrell. And I think at times we played better than we did under Gary Monk. I think the problem, like I've said uh, just a moment ago, was that... We've, we've been creating an absolute shed load of chances in, you know, even in the, the Fulham game where we lost 4-1. I think we, we rivaled them on shots and shots on target. It was just we didn't take ours. And we were woeful defensively. Um, again, against uh, like Forrest, I think we hit the post twice before Forrest took the lead. Um, it's just been a case of either box, really, we've failed in. And again, that's just the basics of football, isn't it, really? Um, we, you know, we've created enough to, to win every game. We just simply haven't. And um, it, it's it's hard to put your finger on what to change, really. He's dropped Dean on Friday night. I think that was a bold and brave move. I think he needed some time out. I think he's been probably the focal point of the problems at the def in the defence, him and Roberts. Uh, so to drop him was a brave move. Up front, I think, We've got similar issues. I think, do you drop Jukovic? I think Ogun was probably one of our best players on Friday night and has been for the majority of the season. Uh, gets a lot of stick, unfairly. Um, but I think maybe Deeney and, and Hogan would be my ideal partnership going forward. I think those two could, if they could hit the ground running with a, you know, start taking some chances, I think they could be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, well, what's the consensus around Lee Bowyer? Because despite what we've been saying, one point from six games obviously isn't great so what's what are fans thinking about how he's doing 
Yeah, I think overall the, the majority know that a lot of these issues won't go away overnight and a lot of the issues that have been deep-rooted in the club for God knows how long. You know, me and you have been saying that there's just constant issues at the club that never get resolved and he's trying to resolve them. Um, but like I say, he needs time to do that and I think a lot of the fan base recognise that, understand that and are going to be patient. Yes, I think there's things that Boya could be doing better. Absolutely, no one's exempt of criticism. I think some of his substitutions on Friday night didn't make a lot of sense. Um, Hogan coming off and Ike coming on, you know, when he's got Deeney sitting on the bench, not sure why that one happened. Um, so he he's still learning. He needs time to rectify the problems. But overall, I think the fan base just want to see us uh, start taking these chances again. I really think that's that's the biggest frustration at the minute. You know, a no goal in open play for, I think, 600-odd minutes. That is appalling. But as Bo has said in, in his interviews, he'd be a lot more worried if we weren't creating the chances. Um, and they will go in at some point. So I think fans are patient uh, and they know it will come. Thank you, James. Yeah, Birmingham completed just 95 passes in 90 minutes, Justin, which is a rather interesting ratio. One pass completed per minute. Yeah, I'm not sure about mm. that one. Uh, <laughs> but despite results suggesting otherwise, Birmingham are com- continuing to play not too badly, I'm finding. Would you agree? Yeah, I think they were always going to lose a possession battle in this game, weren't they, against West Brom? Um, and they had the better chances in the game. You look at, I think it was Scott Hogan missed... Um, I think the commentators probably were a bit kind to him with his chance. I thought they should have put it. I thought he should have put it away because it was a beautiful cross by Bayer, and um, Ivan Sunic hit the bar as well. Again, probably should have hit the target. So they're two big chances before West Brom scored. You put one of them away. Birmingham see out the game, no problem for me. But you're quite right. They are playing well or well-ish. They're just not finding that final. Um, that final move that that puts them ahead of uh, their opposition at the minute, and it's and it's doing them, yeah, pretty pretty badly at the minute. Yeah, one point from your last six. It's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because despite them playing all right, you have got to get to a point where you have got to start to question why results aren't happening, despite them mm. looking all right in the actual games. But an interesting one nonetheless. Uh, but West Brom were great. I thought um, little Jim Shiner asks, are West Brom fans right to moan about the style of play and being bored at the match despite being second in the table? What do you think? It's an interesting one. Um, I thought West Brom, I don't think they were great. I disagree with you there. I thought they were, okay. again, okay. I don't think they did enough to to really justify winning the game the way they did because I just don't think they created too many chances. And there were times where they would just put the ball into the channel. And this is obviously loose to the question I was asked. They were putting the ball into the channel, which really frustrated me because they've got really good players um, that can play with the ball at their feet and if they build their attacks a little bit more and stop rushing that final pass um, they will create more attacks and they will be more interesting to watch at home because they got to a point again in this game where they left it late it was a great goal from Carl and Grant but if you create a little bit more throughout the game if you're a little bit more savvy with your passing and not just putting it into a channel you're going to create more and they didn't do that they, they waited till the end of the game and I can see why fans are a little bit frustrated and bored yeah, I, I can see that as well. Um, but what I would say is it could be worse. At least it's direct mm. and on the front foot, unlike other certain managers who are direct and more concerned mm. with keeping it tight at the back as well. And then also, if it's getting results, then that's what matters, isn't it? It's a results business. Valerian Ishmael is being paid to win games. You can't hold mm. that against the guy if he thinks this way of playing is the best way to get results. And so far, one loss all season... He's right, isn't he? So if results start to turn, then that's when you've got to start asking questions because these are talented players and they would be more than capable of playing with a bit more pizzazz. But while things are going so well at the moment, I I don't think West Brom fans can complain, despite it not necessarily being the most entertaining. Bournemouth remain three points clear at the top of the league after beating Bristol City 2-0 at Ashton Gate. Bristol City have been doing quite well recently, but just can't find three points at home. Patch Warner is from the Bristol City podcast. Three peeps in a podcast. Patch, what did you make of the game? 
So yesterday was a real disappointment. Bournemouth, let's make no bones about it, are a fantastic side and anyone who finishes above Bournemouth will be getting promotion uh, this season. But we, we've seen teams come down like Fulham a few weeks ago and we've given them a real game. We stand toe-to-toe. We've left it all out on the pitch. And yesterday we didn't do that quite simply. A big loss after sort of 13 minutes was Joe Williams going down injured and, and subsequently coming off. We had no hand Masengo on the bench who is apparently now fit so we expect to see him on Tuesday so there was bite missing there was in some places effort missing which was the biggest disappointment if you go toe-to-toe and put the effort in that's that's all we asked but unfortunately we didn't see that yesterday and it was a, a defeat by two goals which could have quite easily been five or six so we need to bounce back from that quite quickly because we were on a big high coming off of some fantastic away performances and some competing home performances so a real disappointment let's bounce back on tuesday against Nottingham forest yeah and it's funny you mentioned the difference between the home and away performances because you're quite right bristol city brilliant away but at ashton gates they haven't won since january and it's something we keep talking about now, I don't think many Bristol City fans were expecting to get three points against Bournemouth, but can you offer any explanation as to why you just can't win at home? Well, that is the million-dollar question, and I haven't really got an answer for that, and I don't think anyone has. But there certainly seems to be a different mindset when we play away. Um, we we take the, the game to the teams away. Uh, it just seems at home... We haven't got that impetus. We we've we've always had, you know, a first the first historically we've always had five minute spell where we get a chance, and that's usually the first five minutes. But then the first half just seems to drift us drift us all by, and um, it's only because Bournemouth were exceptional that they got those two goals. It we're used to getting into half time at nil nil. The atmosphere seems to be a, a bit of a problem. Uh, yesterday it was pretty flat. Um, and I think that's just because we were a bit, bit dumbstruck by Bournemouth. But something needs to be done at the ground to sort of spread out the singing section a little bit, or reposition them, stick them in the atio end where the away fans are, and segregate that as as something that's been mentioned. But it's something that um, the the form on the pitch. There's the, we we had a, a fans panel with some of the players on Monday, and they said that there's no problem in terms of mindset. I think it's just a matter of time, but uh, it's last, last season was a complete write-off, um, particularly the second half of the season. So I uh, don't really count them, if that makes sense. But it's certainly worrying when you haven't won, won at home now, I think, for 16 games. Yeah, and Patch, this is the first time we've spoken to you this season. So who has been the standout player for Bristol City so far, considering we're a quarter of the way through? And... Bristol City doing a, a lot better than many people expected, I think. Yeah, so start of the season, uh, it was our expectation was to re- re-establish ourselves as a decent championship side. And I think we've more than done that, massive thanks to the away form. Um, in terms of uh, the standout player so far this season, it's a toss-up for me between Hanno Masengo and Rob Atkinson uh, at centre-back. Um, both not in the team yesterday, which obviously didn't help. But um, Hanno Masengo has really turned it on this season. He looks every bit the player we want him to be going forward, defending, retaining the ball. He seems to have, it all seems to have really clicked for him. It was, again, real annoying when he got injured. Um, and Rob Atkinson, all, all we know is that he didn't feel well yesterday, so, so didn't play, hopefully not COVID. But um, he's come into the team, settled in really well, a big step up from from Oxford um, so yeah Hanno Masengo and Rob Atkinson uh, are the two players to watch out for this season and let's hope they continue to uh, flourish for us Cheers Patch and I think he hit the nail right on the head there Justin Bournemouth were just different class weren't they? They they have that ability about them and they've got quality all over the pitch. When you've got someone like Jamal Lowe who I think we mentioned quite recently I can't remember which episode it was but he's not really been that involved um, in recent weeks but he starts the game and he scores he's a good player and then you've got your left back scoring as well highlights the quality in your squad quite nicely doesn't it they've got quality just about everywhere and 
like I mentioned with with Zamora uh, scoring, he's a delight to watch at, at fullback. And we've not heard, we've not really spoken about Jane Anthony recently, but they got other players stepping up like Ryan Christie. So there's just quality in every angle of the squad. And it's yeah, really a much better position than last year for Bournemouth. You know, comparing it to last year, they had Dan Juma, but they didn't have that strength in depth that they do now, which is a much much better uh, option, I think. Well, 74% possession, 22 shots to Bristol City's five. They managed more than double the amount of Bristol City's expected goals. It was a really classy and comfortable performance from Scott Parker's boys and they probably should have won by more. Jamie Thomas tweeted us to ask, how many points will Bournemouth win the league by and will they break Reading's points record this season? (laughs) Justin, what do you think? I'm a terrible person to ask this question because I said Fulham would. Honestly, I thought Fulham would would do it. But, you know, Bournemouth are in a good place right now. They're in a very good place. Scott Parker's um, got a flexible system where they can press, they can keep possession, they can keep teams at arm's length. And they've done that pretty much in every game. I think the only game where they didn't really have too much control um, was the Blackpool game, maybe the Luton game and, and, and the West Brom game, the first game of the season. So there's only been three occasions where you think, they're on, the, they're on the ropes here, but they've they've gotten through those games easily. A lot of quality in the side, and a lot to a lot to be excited about. Because again, they're another side who I think I've got gears to go. Well, I think yeah, I think the scary thing is Bournemouth. They just seem to be getting better and better. And this is a side which is the only one still unbeaten in the whole of the EFL. They're sat three points clear at the top of the table, and for the teams chasing them, that's very bad news. I'd say earlier in the season, I'd actually disagree with you. I wasn't too convinced by them bloody good squad but I thought they were perhaps a bit lucky in certain Mm. games I'm thinking that Blackpool game earlier in the season for example but then since the first international break they've just been flying putting teams away and in that time they've only conceded three in their last seven and they just they just 100% deserve to be top of the table at this stage and yes of course they deserve to be there because they're getting the results but the performances have been so so classy recently that they have been quite simply the best team in the division without question and if they continue to get better and better then they're going to piss it aren't they <laughs> and that, that's that, that's obviously a very good thing for Scott Parker it's it's just maintaining it as the season goes on but they have got players to come back mm-hmm. as well Ben Pearson won't play in here Lewis Cook is still yet to come back from injury and of course David Brooks for other unfortunate reasons but it's a bloody good squad and it's going to get better and that is frightening from an outsider's perspective. Sheffield United scored twice in three minutes to beat Stoke 2-1 after being a goal down. The Blades had lost twice in a row before the international break, so a much-needed win for Slavisa Kanovic's side. Johnny Gascoigne is from the Sheffield United YouTube channel, The Shoreham View. And this was a great game, Johnny. For a neutral, it must have been exciting. A bit nerve-wracking for us on back at Cop, I'll be honest with you. Bit of a mixed bag of reactions, really. A lot of people don't seem to want to agree with me. I, I seem to think that we were lucky to come away with a win. One all probably would have been the more fair result. But subs change games. Bringing on Dids was a stroke of genius from Slav. Uh, I've had a fair few things to say against Slav at the moment, but that was a stroke of genius, and it won us the game. It's funny how we can play all these games with one man up front, and we we haven't quite figured out on our bench yet that it doesn't work against every team. And we do need to tinker around with it. And I think this result proved it. As far as the game goes, as I said, I think we're lucky to get the three points. But I'll always take three points when they're offered. And enjoyable game to be at, considering the result. If we'd have lost that game, I don't think I'd have been too happy. Well, it's interesting you say that because Jukanovic has been sticking with the same team now for the past few weeks. But it was the substitutions which ultimately changed the game here. So do you think maybe he's got to move things around in the next couple of games? I think when you look at what where our season turned around a little bit, the Peterborough game, obviously, it was a new formation, new players, and it won us the game quite comfortably. We ground out some, some wins after that. I mean, the draw against Preston wasn't particularly great, but got the win against Borough. But we've also had mixed results with this team because... Playing one up front and it's Billy Sharp, it doesn't particularly work well against big centre-halves. Billy Sharp's not the most mobile of lads at time, and when we're playing against immobile but big centre-halves, one man up front doesn't really work. And I don't think there's any centre-half bigger than Stokes. I mean, what is he, eight foot five? So, tinkering with that team and getting another striker up there to free up Sharpie to find space, let Sharpie drag him out, and then let the other players slot in and do the work. You can have the same winning side and tinker with the formation slightly, I think being so rigid with his, his lineup is hurting us more than helping us at times. 
But as I said, what do I know? We got three points and that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you think this will be a springboard for Sheffield United to go on to bigger and better things? Because I think many neutrals are still expecting them to get into the playoffs this season. Are Sheffield United fans thinking the same? I think the neutrals need to watch us more. Because at the moment, I'd say we're a mid-table kind of team. We've got players that are capable of... Some people might not agree with this. I think we've got players that are capable of a top-two finish and we're not performing. And we need to find the reason for that. Because if we're going to be rigid with this formation and not be willing to change, we need to be playing the right players in the right positions. Because it's a bit like Wilder, it's a bit of a specialist system and we haven't got wingers to be playing how he wants to play. And if we're going to have one man up front, it needs to be a complete forward. It can't just be a, a fox in the box like Sharpie. Whether we can turn it around and use it as a springboard, only time will tell. A lot of people seem to think we're going to a massive unbeaten one after Peterborough. But I don't think that's realistic at this point in time. I think we'll not know what we're going to do properly until after January transfer window. And by then it may be too late. And I don't find that acceptable as a Blades fan. I do think we're capable of doing better and I want to see us do better. Trying to keep the faith... But being a United fan, that's hard to do at times. But if any team can go out there and prove a lot of people wrong, it's us. Thank you, Johnny. He thought it was quite an even game. I'd probably disagree. I thought Sheffield United created the better chances. And in the end, it was a deserved win. I think when you go on the balance of the chances, maybe, I think Stoke will be very disappointed to let the game slip the way they did in the final 10 minutes. But... You've got to praise the the impact of the subs at the right time. McGoldrick had three minutes on the pitch before he assisted Musa, and then three minutes later he, he scored. And then job done, go home. You know, it's not it's not a bad not a bad life for McGoldrick yesterday uh, on Saturday, was it? It was um, it, it was a good performance, but can't leave it that late in these games. This was a big tight game against Stoke City. Obviously, two teams that should be in the playoffs together, obviously Sheffield United aren't at the moment, but they perform like that on a consistent basis and, and show the same character then they will definitely get in the playoffs this season Well you mentioned McGoldrick who really was the game changer here wasn't he and that's only the second time we've seen him in the last month and a half which surprises me that he hasn't been playing more although now that I think about it I think he may have had a back injury but nonetheless mm-hmm. for me he's got to be starting the majority of Sheffield United's games for the remainder of the season because he is such a player And we saw that last season in the Premier League when he was the only player really performing well for them on a consistent basis. And it's getting to the point where I'd consider dropping Ilaman Indai, who who I think has been really poor for the last few weeks or so, or maybe give Sharp a rest. I don't know. One or the two. Whatever the case, I think you kind of just got to bring him in because what we saw in this short cameo here, he's still got it at this level. Uh, But Jacob Brown scored a brilliant goal. Aside from that, Stoke and Michael O'Neill, very disappointed to see their team throw it away, despite being a goal up in the 80th minute. Uh, but they have got Bournemouth in midweek, which is a right old thigh rubber in uh, what is a difficult period of games for Stoke. They obviously had West Brom before the international break, Sheffield United here and then Bournemouth in midweek. But it's a true test of their promotion credentials. Right, just in a minute, have a break. After that, we'll talk about the West London derby and Peterborough, who just can't buy a win away from home. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. In the West London derby between Fulham and QPR, it was 4-1 to the Cottagers. The man who stole the headlines was the usual suspect, Alexander Mitrovic, who was simply deadly, Justin. Water is wet. It's it's, it's a company. I almost don't give uh, Mitrovic a lot of credit because I expect it. Um, like for example, I've fallen in love with with, with um, BBD um, at, at Blackburn, obviously this season because he's been brilliant. But Mitrovic, I think, deserves a lot more credit than than what he gets because, as you say, he's such a ruthless finisher, and he showed it again in this game. Um, he's he's top quality, he's top draw, and um, that's all you need to say about him. He's, he's gonna he's gonna put chances away, and he did that in a big game as well, a very big game for both sides. For not only because it's a derby, but because Fulham needed a win. Yeah, hundred percent. That first goal was just so well taken. And anyone who doesn't watch him regularly probably thinks of him as a cross between a target man and a poacher. But he's shown that he's much more than that. 12 goals for the season now. We're only a quarter of the way through. (laughs) 
you've got to start asking the question, how many will he get this season? Well, I was just trying to do my, uh, the maths in my head very quickly. So we're a quarter of the way through the season. He's got 12 so far. So that's going to be 40, 48 Well, he's got he's season. got 12 in 12. So he's on course for 46 goals, which I've got to say, I, I don't see that happening. But the thing is, he gets so many chances per game, not just because he's surrounded by supremely talented players, as we all know, but he makes the chances himself with his movement. And when you've got someone who has so many chances and is as clinical as he is, it's difficult to not see him continuing to score. So obviously he's not going to do it at the rate where he is now. 46 goals <laughs> is not going to happen. But I mean, what a game is pretty crazy. And we saw what Ivan Tony did with breaking the goal scoring record last season. Right now, you've got to say that tally is very much under threat considering what mood Mitrovic has been in this season. It's. I think. I mean, it really does depend whether or not Fulham can be as consistent as they were. You know, you go back to that first four games of the season where they were ruthless against sides. If they carry that on, then I don't see why not. If they have dips, then they they you know, they might struggle to create chances. But Mitrovic is that type of striker. You only need to give him one chance, and he will he will put it away. I know they've had uh, occasions this season where that's not been the case, but he is that type of striker. And when when he's in form, and he is in form. Um, yeah, it's it's a scary thought uh, how many he could get, and teams if they if they're solid won't give him a chance. But he doesn't need he needs half a sniff essentially. I feel like saying he's in form is still an understatement. He's yeah he's just tearing through them at the moment in Zines. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a pointless question, but you've got to ask where Fulham would be without him because he is uh, just so so good, so so good, Justin. But focusing back on the game quickly, Fulham are great. They made a fellow promotion-chasing side look easily second-best on the day. Yeah, I, th I think the only uh, negative you can take from the game is they allowed QPR back into it. Um, but as soon as QPR scored, Fulham took it up another gear. You don't really want that prompt in, in, in games. You want to you wanna kill the game off as, as soon as possible. But And they did that in the second half. I think that's the only negative you can take away from it. But it was a top-top performance from Fulham and, and, and one that was needed, I think. To be fair to QPR, they hit the post early on through Chris Willock mm -hmm. and that could have very well changed things, but ultimately Fulham, very, very good here. A team not looking very, very good is Peterborough, who has still yet to pick up a single point away from home this season. The latest loss coming at Middlesbrough, where they were beaten 2-0. No shot on target here for Posh. They've only managed 40 shots away from home this season from six games. So quick maths, just over six shots a game away from home this season. By far the lowest tally in the league. Here's a question for you, Justin. Is there a poorer team in the division than this Peterborough side when they're away from home? There isn't a poorer side in uh, away from home than, than Peterborough, obviously. I think the only other teams you can potentially argue is Barnsley and, and, and Hull, but we saw Barnsley look a lot better against against Reading uh, this, this weekend. Um, I don't really know what to suggest for Peterborough. I don't think the squad's good enough. I don't think Darren Ferguson is good enough for the championship. I know it's a complete turnaround from what I was saying in, in pre-season, but I just I can't see any, any positives for them at the moment. Well, they've got a minus 15 goal difference away from home. <laughs> Three goals scored and 18 conceded. Keep in mind, we've played six away games this season. It's uh, It is quite remarkable. The issue is they're not great at home either and that's why they're looking like prime candidates to go down right now I mean it's it's so bad that even with the points deduction Derby are looking like they could catch up with the likes of Peterborough and Barnsley the way things are going they've got Hull away in midweek if there's an away game where you're going to pick up something then it's got to be there it's got to be at this game otherwise then if you don't pick up anything away from home all season then you're going to go down aren't you at the end of the day especially mm -hmm. when you're average at best at home yeah. uh, but Borough were quite fortunate with an early penalty shout in fairness to Peterborough but aside from that that was the only real concern Neil Warnock and uh, I suppose another concern actually would be how long it took his side to score because they got the uh, penalty very late on didn't they but apart from that he was always looking like it was going to come eventually you say that there wasn't too many chances in the game um, Borough weren't at the best but like Warnock said in his pretty much press conference life is it squads like a box of chocolates you're not sure what you're, you're going to get from it at the minute because there's so many injuries let me stop Twice you there let me stop you there are you going to do the impression i don't i don't want to um <laughs> mainly because i i think warnock absolutely savaged it and i just feel like i'll, I'll make it worse if anything he made it better in my eyes i don't know if he did 
He sounded like a, a, a drunk man in Weatherspoons saying it. <laughs> Imagine if uh, they did a remake of Forrest Gump with Neil Warnock in the starring role, but they made it about his life instead. So you'd mm. have, for example... Mm. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah, you'd, you'd have, for example, him talking about Muscat and being in London and things not going his way there. And it would just be this constant war between him and referees. I think it'd be quite good. I, I, I can actually see like a, a biography type film um, in the same sort of narrative as Forrest Gump, where it starts from a very early age, mm. running with brackets on his legs to being borough manager. <laughs> I'd pay to see it. I'd really love to see it. It'd be great. And then we can get him doing the impression as well. It would just really top it all off. Um, quickly on Borough, Martin Piero had his first 90 minutes in a Borough shirt since joining for a reported six million in the summer. And it was an impressive outing. Everything good that Borough did came through him. So more of that, please. Mr. Piero. Uh, Harry Cornick Brace saw Luton beat Millwall 2-0. Cornick has now got six goals for the season after only managing to get one in the last campaign. But he is someone who is really stepping up this season, isn't he? He is. I've, I've I've liked Cornick for a while. Um, I think in their first season back in the Championship, he played very well. Obviously, dipped last season, but he, he did play very well that season. Um, and he's and he's he's picked up that form again. Uh, he's a player with pace. Um, he's probably a little bit wasteful at times. His final ball can can leave a lot to be desired. But overall, game he's a very hard working player, and I think would be an asset to any side in the division based based purely on that. Um, and obviously, if you give him chances like. Um, I think Jordan Clark put him on a plate a couple of times uh, against Millwall. If you give him chances, he's going to put them away. He's, he's a good player, an underrated player, even amongst Luton fans, I think. He's really good at stretching defences. Um, <laughs> and even when he wasn't doing that last season in terms of scoring goals, he was still doing just that because he, he, he has got so much pace. It's quite frightening mm-hmm. how quick he is. And he's not afraid to run at defenders either. But now that he's adding a bit more of a final product as well, him and Adebayo up front is a, quite a... Good, good partnership in the way that they mm-hmm. um, complemented each other very well. Um, yeah. I've been saying Luton recently have deserved more points than they've been getting from games, but I don't think they were too great here, to be honest. Nonetheless, a valuable three points for Nathan Jones, which takes his side up to 10th. Millwall missed a penalty late on. However, apart from that, it was also quite a flat performance. Despite a minor upturn in results, the pressure is back on Gary Rowett with the fans. Still not happy with what they're seeing, particularly with the style of play. Um, you got sympathy for Millwall fans? Um, I, I've, I've lived through Rout Bull. We got us into the playoffs, got Derby, that is. Um, did a good job, but he had a lot of finances. Doesn't have those finances with Millwall. I still think he's doing an okay job, but it's, it is boring football when you don't have flair. And if you're relying too heavily on the likes of Jed Wallace to get you back into games, it's not going to be, it's not going to be ideal. But I think just give it time because I don't think there are many too many managers better than Gary Rowett for Millwall at the moment really I think so I I, I rate Gary Rowett quite highly I, I honestly do but it can fall flat like this but it's it's one of those occasions where it's be careful what you wish for sort of thing I don't think there are too many managers better than him but then again if they do I think going for someone with a bit more um, a bit more pizzazz a bit more style would be a good a good fit for for Millwall because Rowett is a very good bridge between direct organised football to nicer football. I, I massively disagree that there aren't managers out there. I'm thinking like Alex Neil, for example, would be a great fit for it's this Millwall the same, team. Though. Well, it's it's about. I'm not saying they should change the style of play. Millwall have you know played this style of play for a number of years now, and. It may very well be the way that the board wants them to play, but it's clearly not working at the moment. If you get a different manager in who might be able to bring a bit more impetus into the team, then it could work wonders. Alex, when you say there's not another, there aren't other managers out there, I think that's just complete nonsense, really. Because <laughs> you've got the likes of Alex Neil, you've got even Neil Harris. Get him back in. He was doing a great job before. Um, mm. Before it all went sadly wrong right at the end. But nonetheless, there are managers out there. So... 
I, I don't think that's true. And that's why when you look at how Rarit's doing at the moment, maybe the, the board who are infamously very patient, um, maybe looking at this and thinking maybe it is time for a change, but we'll wait and see. Millwall fans are definitely not happy. Forest 2, Blackpool 1. Forest have now picked up 10 points from a possible 12 since Steve Cooper was appointed. Uh, just goes to show what happens when you do change your manager. Um, and it was another well-deserved <laughs> three points here, Justin. Yeah, it was a it was a good performance from Forest. Um, I think Blackpool were were unfortunate not to to pick up anything, but nonetheless, it was a good performance. And key players are, are starting to perform. You look at the, the goal, the first goal in particular, very very good team goal, starting from back to back to front, which is exactly what Forest fans have been asking for for a long time. Um, they're getting it, and they're getting results as well, which is a very nice position to be in. But a good performance against a very good side. Well, I'm really loving the front three at Forest because you've got Brennan Johnson, who's been such a live wire for the tricky trees, particularly uh, recently. He's running at defenders and making things happen. He's so exciting to watch and is getting better at an alarming rate. You've got Philip Zinkenagel, who's linking it all together. Someone you're a big fan of, Justin. And then Lincolnagel. Lincolnagel. Why have we not come over that before? <laughs> Philip Lincolnagel. Uh, he's linking it all together. And at the top, you've got a rejuvenated Lewis Graben, who's got three and three now, who looks like a completely different player under Steve Cooper. There's just a lot to like there. And there's optimism at the Forest Ground. Something we haven't... At the Forest Ground, City Ground. That's something we haven't seen since... Well, you're talking before the pandemic, when it's the Lamushi days, yeah. haven't you? So, yeah, everything's really looking rosy at Forest for once. Uh, Blackpool... Always going to be a tricky game for them because they're having a bit of an injury crisis at the moment. Nine mm-hmm. players missing for this game, including top scorer Shane Lavery, who's been a real difference maker for them this season. Despite that, they were still very competitive here. So definite encouragement for Neil Critchley. Huddersfield in the top six after beating Hall 2-0. This saw the championship's top scorers from set pieces meet the championship's highest conceders from set pieces. So it only made sense that the first goal came from, you guessed it, a set piece. Football really is a simple game at times. But nine conceded from set pieces for Hall this season. The next highest is Reading on six. One of the many problems Grant McCann's finding with his side at the moment, he's actually getting a bit of stick for changing back to a 4-3-3 after they beat Middlesbrough just before the international break with a 3-5-2. So strange that he would change it. Uh, what did you think of Huddersfield, Justin? I thought they were uh, they, were, they were worth the win. It was a fairly straightforward occasion for them. Um, you've got players like Sorba Thomas, who had a very good uh, international breakaway with Wales. He's obviously come in and assisted, again, similar to Mitrovic. Water is wet. Um, and you, when I think the thing that surprises me most is Tom Lees looked, I'm going to sound quite harsh, looked absolutely useless at Sheffield Wednesday last season. Um, I think Brady came on recently and he said he's been a very good signing for Huddersfield and he has been a very good signing. Obviously picked up the first goal here. Matty Pearson's a very good defender as well. He's proving to be very good in the system. So I think it's settling quite nicely now for, for Corbrand to just really sort of draw out a consistent run of form which is they're starting to do um, and Dwayne Holmes getting on the score sheet as well is, is massive because his his output in terms of numbers is pretty poor so him getting on the score sheet is going to do in the world of good yeah 100% I don't think they were magnificent by any means but you can only beat what's in front of you and on this occasion it was a bang average Hall team there was a great game between Blackburn and Coventry it finished 2-2 although should Coventry have had a penalty Justin? I will be honest I don't I didn't see it you didn't see it. Did, did you not watch the game? <laughs> I watched the. I'll be honest. I watched the highlights. I didn't see right. it. Though. Okay, that's fine. Well, Come Victor Jokeres. Victor Jokeres was tackled, but tried to stay on his feet, so the referee didn't give anything. And I'm sorry to say, it, mm. Justin, that is a penalty every single day of the week. But Jokeres has been punished here for trying to be honest and stay on his feet because he, he's he, he's lost his balance completely by the challenge. I can't remember who it was by, but. But that shouldn't be happening. It frustrates me so much. Matt Godden got punished for diving in Coventry's win against Fulham. But then Jokeres tries to carry on and he gets nothing. It's just it's just ridiculous. It frustrates me so much that when players don't go down and try to carry on playing, they still don't win a penalty. I don't get it. Yeah, if that was outside the area, that would be a free kick. Exactly. Although I didn't see it. Although I didn't see it, I can picture it perfectly in my head. Um yeah, if that's outside the area, it's a free kick all day. So because it's in the inside the penalty area, I assume the referee doesn't want to punish. Um, it's, it seems a too harsh a punishment, but you're quite right. It's a, a foul's a foul. He's off balance. Um, he's been impeded essentially. So yeah, you're, you're right. 
Well, if if anyone hasn't seen it, then all you've got to do is look at Victor Jokerez's Twitter because he posted a picture of his ankle <laughs> after the game, which I think is from this challenge. And his ankle is about the size of my thigh. It's it's a really really bad bit That's of swelling. Big. Yeah, yeah, I've got big thighs. Um, well, aside from terrible refereeing decisions, this was a really entertaining game. Thomas Kaminski scored a very unfortunate but rather funny own goal, made all the funnier by him getting up in a panic to look around, see where the ball was, only to see it rolling over the line. Wonderful stuff. Commentary a fourth with Blackpool at uh, Blackpool. Blackburn ninth and then finally Preston nil Derby nil Derby the better team but couldn't find the breakthrough this is the fifth time from Preston's last seven where the score has either been nil nil or one all it's time for us to do who knows wins Justin this is the part of the show where we're going to go through all the games in the championship that are coming up next Saturday we have got midweek games but it's only the Saturday games that we care about in who knows wins all you got to do is download the app chuck in a few quid to enter our league and whoever correctly predicts the most results wins the pot in our championship league this weekend I'm just trying to find my phone where's it gone where's my phone there it is in the Championship League this weekend, the win pot was £150. It was won by Tarmatan, who got nine correct results, which ain't too bad, is it? Bloody hell, fair play to your son. Uh, so that's Tarmatan who got uh, the big prize at the end. Justin, you got eight. You I came know. second. I was quite happy with it. <laughs> you, I tell you, you're doing all right in the old uh, Who Knows Wins, aren't you? I got a, a, a rather paltry six here which in a normal week isn't actually too right, bad actually. Yeah. yeah so here we are the championship experts being outdone as always by other people so uh, well done to tarmatan you take home the big prize this week uh did anyone get absolutely nothing this week uh no they didn't so well done everyone on that front uh so make sure you download the app now and join in our league you can enter using the code second let's give our predictions justin for the 3 p.m games Next Saturday, we shall begin with Birmingham Swansea. Which way are you going? I'm going to go Birmingham City. I will also go with Birmingham City. I think it's got to change at some point. Blackburn mm -hmm. Reading. That's a humdinger. Uh, Blackburn. I'll go draw. Blackpool Preston. Big game. Ooh, uh, draw Derby. I'll go Blackpool. Uh, Bournemouth Huddersfield. Bournemouth Huddersfield. That's, a, that's going to be a good game again. I'm going to go Huddersfield, actually. Really? I'm going to go Huddersfield. I am. I don't know how you keep uh, winning in. Who knows wins? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go Bournemouth. Next one. Coventry Derby. Uh, Coventry at home, aren't they? Coventry. Yeah, I'll go Coventry. Luton Hull. Luton. Luton. Millwall Stoke. <laughs> Stoke. Millwall's home record. Stoke yeah, absolutely. It's the revenge of Gary Rowett. Uh, Peterborough QPR. Uh, QPR. I'll go for a draw. Peterborough, mm. all right at home. Terrible away, but all right at home. And finally, West Brom, Bristol City. Oh, Bristol City. I'll go draw. Bristol City are right away oh. from home, aren't they? Yeah, they yeah. are. I'm flipping the table this week. Yeah, you, you, you have completely thrown everything <laughs> over the ball. Uh, so that's Who Knows Wins. Download the app now and get involved as always. Please gamble responsibly and when the fun stops, stop. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll begin with the news at which we didn't have a chance to talk about in midweek, just in because it came out after we finished recording. Uh, that's Bournemouth midfielder David Brooks has been diagnosed with cancer. He has stage 2 Hodgkin lymphoma. It was actually the Welsh national team medical staff who discovered it and in a statement, Brooks has thanked them for doing so and also says, although this has come as a shock to myself and my family, the prognosis is a positive one and I am confident that I will make a full recovery and be back playing as soon as possible possible i mean just in 24 years old it's a shocking age for anyone to be diagnosed with cancer isn't it but it's been truly heartwarming seeing the response from the football community to this devastating news yeah i was out walking the dog and literally saw it my jaw dropped i was absolutely devastated for him um he's such a talented player and for him to get this sort of news is is yeah it's, it's devastating. But as you say, the the heartwarming responses you know does just for you have a bit of um, a bit of glee in, in what is a, a really shit situation for David Brooks, but one that 
as you say, the, the diagnosis is, is a positive one for him. So it's, it's, it's up to him now to, to, to get through it. And hopefully we see him before the end of the season. Yeah, the Bournemouth players held up a shirt with Brooks's name on the back after scoring the first goal against Bristol City. And then there was also a minute's applause in that game as well, which the Bristol City fans joined in with. So well done to them. Uh, Scott Parker says the club will unite around Brooks during his recovery and give him all the support he needs. Hopefully we do see him back playing football soon. Um, I don't know if uh, this season's a realistic objective mm-hmm. or not I'm not an expert in this field at all so uh, but hopefully we do see him back again soon and we wish him all the very best of course the BBC is reporting former Derby owner Andy Appleby is among the interested parties as administrators continue to look for a buyer he's part of a group which also includes former Ram CEO Sam Rush and Jez Moxie who has had spells at Norwich Stoke and Wolves the administrators say they're confident of trimming the number down to three preferred bidders by the end of the year Now, it's the last bit which I'm particularly interested in, Justin, because we keep talking about how getting a buyer before January would be very handy from a Derby perspective, because if it gets to January and they're still in administration, there could be a massive fire sale of all the best players, and that would pretty much wipe out Derby's hopes of staying up, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're quite right. And obviously the the money runs out, at I think it's after three months, which is around December time as well. So getting a buyer in before... January is, is essential. One thing I think should happen is they should just raffle the club off. Just raffle the club off. Why not? What you know do how you these mean? people like th- there are these occasions where people um, instead of selling the house for an estate agent, they'll they'll put a raffle on um, and they raise like two hundred fifty thousand through a raffle. Just do that with the club. Why not? Let's try something new. Interesting. W- would this be open to? Anyone who has any sort of money or only millionaires and billionaires? It would make sense if it was millionaires and billionaires because if I pay £5 for a raffle ticket and I win, I am absolutely fucked. (laughs) It's it's an interesting idea. Um, I've got nothing else to say on the matter. (laughs) I will also be entering this raffle if uh, the administrators do go down this path. Um, But I don't have any money either, so we shall wait and see on that front. Alex Marrott has won the Championship Goal of the Month award for that screamer against Cardiff. I'll be very surprised, but also delighted if that goal isn't in the mix for goal of the season, because if there's any better contenders than that, then they're going to be bloody good goals, I can tell you that. And finally, tickets for the Preston Derby game this weekend were just £5. It was as part of a gesture from the club to get as many fans as possible to the match to celebrate the life of owner Trevor Hemmings who passed away this week at the age of 86 all the proceeds from the tickets went towards charities he supported so a nice story to end the news there Justin let's go through the polls this is the part of the show where we give our listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their input on all the mad and wonderful things going on in the championship so the first question we posed them was this will Alexander Mitrovic break the championship goal scoring record this season yes or no for just going based on the numbers yes quite easily well he's got to get the the, uh, record is 31 so he's on 12 now he's got what is it three quarters of the season left to get 19 or 20 actually Mm. to break the goal scoring record which when you put it like that is a very realistic possibility, isn't it? Um, he needs 20 more goals, doesn't he? 20 more goals to break it, yeah. So, I, I mean, he's on target, isn't he? And he, he's not yeah. the kind of striker who really picks up many injuries either. So, the way he's going, yeah, he could absolutely milk it. Uh, 41% of people said yes. 59% said no. So, relatively even. Uh, will there be a clear top three in the championship by Christmas? Yes or no? I don't think they will. Uh, it's so open at the minute. I don't think they will. I can see Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom being quite a bit away from the rest of the teams. Not sure by Christmas, but certainly by around springtime, unless one of them has mm-hmm. a complete collapse. Uh, 50% of people said yes, 50% said no. So who knows? It's all up in the air on that front. And finally, would you rather A... Eat nothing but Jaffa cakes for the rest of your life, or B, eat what you want but have to eat a cow pat once every year. I'd eat Jaffa cakes for the rest of my life. Oh my god, I I went on a stag do in July and I got through about 
four boxes of Jaffa cakes in a weekend, which doesn't seem actually quite a lot, but that's that's about forty grams of Jaffa cakes. I could eat Jaffa cakes all day. I love Jaffa cakes, but just Jaffa cakes for the rest of your lot. Just rest Jaffa of your cakes, hundred percent. Honestly, yeah, I'd do that, hundred percent. Yeah, would you, why not? you? I think I'd get sick of them after a week. No, no. Would you not miss anything not. else though? I know you're no, vegan, so just... your your diet's pretty boring anyway. But would you not miss <laughs> like all the good stuff? No, Jaffa cakes. Honestly, I get excited when I see a McVitie's van uh, lorry on the on the motorway. I I see a Jaffa cake logo, and I'm like, oh, Jaffa cakes. Why don't you just eat? I'll Jaffa get you all the Jaffa cakes for Christmas. Then? Why don't you just eat Jaffa because cakes? Because it's not a healthy diet, is it? Let's be honest. And I'm getting to an age where my metabolism is slowing down. I need to be in prime condition for podcasting. I'd go for the cow pat, I think. I do like, you've got a bland, I do like... You've got a bland palate, so you'll take you, it. You, you're a vegan. Um, <laughs> I, 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 do love ja- I do love Jaffa cakes, but I, I couldn't live with just Jaffa cakes for the rest of my life, I'm afraid. Uh, 58% of Christ. people 58% of people said the cow pat. Um, 42% said Jaffa Cakes. So relatively even. It's It's been a very mm. even round of, uh, of polls this week. Jesus Christ. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ben James from the Cardiff Podcast for you from the Ninian and Carlo Van der Waltering from the Barnsley Podcast Reds Report. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So for example, if I would say name the eight most expensive strikers in championship history and Ben would say Britta Sombolonga, that's one down and Carlo would say Ross McCormack, that's another down. But if Justin would say Connor Salmon, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So, Justin, can you name a player who's played for Cardiff and Swansea? Are you being serious? <laughs> That's right. Wayne Routledge, who has retired <laughs> this week. And did you know he's one of only a handful to play for both Cardiff and Swansea? Something that completely passed me by. So he's played for nine different clubs in his career. One of them is Cardiff. Can you name the remaining eight so based off what i've just said there's an obvious tap in there carlo <laughs> will go to you first can you name me a club wayne routledge has played for if you mention cardiff can i say swansea absolutely he spent 10 years <laughs> i did better than last time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one down yeah he spent 10 years at the swans of course uh, so you've got seven to go ben we'll get to you next and um, i think i'm right in saying that he played for crystal palace he did. He started his career there, making 110 appearances. Justin, your go. He then went to Spurs. He absolutely did. He went there on a free from Palace, although compensation was involved. Only made five appearances, though. So you've got five to go. Carlo, your go. I'm doubting between Newcastle. Yes, he was there for a couple of seasons before moving to Swansea, Newcastle. Absolutely right. So you're halfway there, chaps. Uh, all three of you still in. Ben, it's your go again. Um, I didn't know he played for Newcastle. That was quite a shock to me. Um, I think he played for QPR. He absolutely did. He had a great time at Loftus Road, as it was known then. I vaguely remember him having a very good partnership with Mr. Tarrapt. Uh, we've got mm-hmm. three left, Justin. Your go. Um. QPR with my next shout. I'm now out of options. I just feel like he's been a Swansea for so long. Um, Fulham? Yes, that's right. He had a season there on loan when they were in the Premier League. So, yeah, absolutely spot on. You've got two left. Um, Carlo, it's your go again. Does it help you if I tell you one of these was a loan and the other one, he didn't play there very much? My daughter lives in Portsmouth and is married to somebody from Portsmouth who is a huge Portsmouth fan. And I'm pretty sure when Barnsley won a huge losing streak, did he play for Portsmouth? Which losing streak? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're still on it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. He spent half a season on loan at Portsmouth when they were in the Premier League. So you're absolutely right. All three of you are still in. There's one team left. Can you get it, Ben? Oh, I'm really stuck now. Um, this is I'm swinging about in the dark for this club. Um, mm. I, 
I literally have no idea who it could be. Um, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna take a wild swing that he might have spent some time at Southampton. No, that's yeah, incorrect. So. Although it'd be a good quiz question if he played for both South Wales teams yeah. and both South Coast teams. Uh, but yes, that's not right. Ben is out. So that means it's down to Justin and Carlo to name the final team. Justin, you don't look very confident. Sorry, no, please. I'm not a Wayne Routledge expert like I am a Darren Bent expert. Um, I, I feel like I've seen him in a Reading shirt. You're incorrect. Mm. That's not right. He never played. Could have been on a night out, but you've been positive. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're getting QPR and Reading mixed up, which is a very plausible thing to happen. Um, so Justin's out as well. That means it's down to you, Carlo. You're shaking your head, so I don't think you're very confident. Um, does it help you if I tell you he only played two games for them? Oh, um, yeah. That helps me hugely. Yeah. I can remember more. <laughs> <laughs> he moved there permanently. It was after he left Spurs and before he went to QPR. I know it's not. I, I ain't got a clue. I'll say Millwall because that's the only other London club I can think of at the moment. It's not Millwall. The club yeah. you were looking for were Aston Villa. Uh, what? Oh, I had no idea. Wayne Rowlett probably forgot that he played for Villa. Yeah. So yeah. Right, so. <laughs> <laughs> it, it says something when everyone is none the wiser about that happening. So wow. fair play. There you go. Well, chaps, wow. you've been beaten by Simon Grayson and his hateful eight this week. Ben, this was your first go at it. How do you feel? Disappointed, really. Um, I think, you know, I started strongly uh, with a couple of guesses, but um, there's a lot of work to do on the, the training field on that one, I think. Um, I'm going to go study kind of like the back histories of, I don't know, people like Simon Redfern or someone like that. Neil Redfern. I can't even remember his name. Just random players. Barnsley. See who I can pick up. Yeah, yeah. Back to Barnsley. Charlton. <laughs> There you go. Well, chaps, thank you for coming on to the show today. We've had Ben James from the View from the Ninian. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Also here is Carlo van der Watering from the Barnsley podcast Red Report. Carlo, thank you for your time. Always enjoyed. Thanks very much, lads. Lovely stuff. This has been the second tier podcast. We've got midweek games, so we'll be back again on Thursday to review all of them. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you.